This session is from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. We're going to get started here. And if you would like uh, to be uh, receive these electronically, this is from yesterday. Um, just go ahead and flip this page and put your name or your email address, and I'll send the uh, file to you electronically. And there's no um, copyright on it. Uh, you'll see a lot of my material is just cited from others, uh, especially in the heart of it, uh, a lot of Greek word studies. So I'm not going to, I don't, you go ahead and take all that you want. That's what I always tell my students anyway. So feel free to grab it. So if you really want it, get an electronic file, uh, let me know, and then you can copy and paste or, you know, whatever. So uh, let's go ahead and get started. Um, I'll pray, and then I'll give a formal little introduction so they got that on the recording. Lord, thank you so much for this conference. Uh, thanks for all that we've been able to learn. Thank you for these men and women who are very serious about their faith and want to learn and to expand uh, their uh, understanding. Uh, Lord, help me as I teach and as I speak today. Help me to be clear. And I pray, Father, that uh, uh, you'll make this uh, just a great uh, time for those who are here, grateful for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so uh, welcome. This is uh, Balancing Pastoral Competencies with Pastoral Ethics. And my name is Les Lofquist. Um, as you come in, feel free to grab one of those uh, handouts. Um, and uh, so what, what do I mean by this? And, and how, does this, um, how, does, how did this come together? And why was I assigned this topic? Uh, so I've got a few slides to kind of explain that. Um, over here on the uh, slides, you'll see uh, the question, what makes a good pastor? Um, I teach in the seminary. Uh, I teach four classes two per semester, um, and all the classes are designed um, to help train uh, men for pastor ministry. And I do have some women, but not training them to be pastors, but training them in ministry um, so that they can go out and serve in their local churches. So uh, that's uh, kind of what, what I do, is I, I teach uh, the pastoral theology classes. I teach preaching. Um, and so that's how I came here. And when I got here, uh, Pastor Davey, uh, president of the seminary, he said, I'd like you to go to um, Southern Seminary in Louisville because Al Mohler has a, a course that he's designed on leadership, and I'd like you to take it, get a doctorate in that, and then come back and help us. So I was strictly thinking seminary the whole time. It was a three-year program pretty rigorous, almost, uh, I cried a lot when I was going through, if you've ever done work, it's really was rigorous and hard, but I made it. And um, as I did, um, I uh, was uh, appointed to be the executive pastor of the church. Um, Dave, Dr. Dave Burgraf uh, uh, went over and he said, I want to stay focused full-time in the seminary. And so um, I'm now the executive pastor. We have 85 people on staff, which also includes uh, 15 pastors. So I work with all of those folks, help them to think about their ministry and what they're doing. So this question, what makes a good pastor? Um, that's something that I, when I started my doctoral work, I said, I really want 
to understand what that means. Uh, there are issues of knowledge, issues of skills, issues of character, or um, what we have in our, in our head, in our hands, in our heart. Um, so uh, these were things that were really important. And so I started trying to ask this question because when you're in a seminary, um, you'll have men come in. Um, someone I always think about is uh, in my first semester, um, he came in, he was here, and he was uh, a graduate of a state university in marketing. And though that's what he was trained to do, but he said in, in his university uh, setting, state school, he wanted to become a pastor. So after graduation, he came here. So he came here with a marketing degree. And at the end, we were trying to get him here to being, being trained to be a pastor. And so um, I said, my, my whole dissertation will be focused on what does this mean to be a good pastor? And then I turned around and applied my research very specifically to this context. How do we bring someone from a state university with a, uh, a marketing degree and how to help him get trained to the point where this is where he, he was? So I, def I started by defining what's this. Um, and I wanted us as a school to uh, do that, uh, to define it, to talk about it, um, and so um, it began with, with me asking this question, what makes a good pastor? And the second question is, what should a seminary teach him to prepare him to be a good pastor? And then another question had to be, well, what can a seminary teach him to prepare him to be a good pastor? Um, what, not only what should we be doing, but what can we do? And what is something that needs to be only in the local church setting when he's graduated and as he gains more experience. Um, so there were so many things to consider and that's why I have this particular slide because it just shows all the things and you're gonna be astounded by the end, um, some of the findings of my research, I was anyway. So my doctoral research focused on pastoral competencies, not on knowledge, important as it is in seminary. You know, you, you need to be teaching something um, and not on character, those are things that also need to be uh, handled and need to be part of the conversation, but it was the skills. What skills are needed? So basically, my research was all about pastoral competencies. And uh, so back to this whole idea of balancing pastoral competencies with the whole issue of pastoral ethics, and that's where we'll end up. So let's take a look at um, um, the handouts the handouts were designed to be self-contained, to allow you uh, to be able uh, to take whatever material I don't get to, and you just read it. Uh, this is also basically a small little uh, excerpt uh, from my dissertation. So uh, let's get started. Um, the role of pastor involves an abundance of pressures and demands, requiring a vast array of competencies uh, thankfully, the New Testament has much to say on this very subject. A study of the rich biblical metaphors and words and models that describe the many roles of pastor leadership will inform, encourage, inspire, and challenge all pastors. Early on in my uh, doctoral work, in my research, I came across a fantastic resource um, 
Uh, he, his name is Dr. Timothy Laniak, L-A-N-I-A-K, Laniak. Um, and he was over in Charlotte, and he was teaching um, at Gordon-Conwell Seminary Extension Campus in Charlotte. Now, it'd be easy for me to never really interact with him because I because they're just different enough. They're not outside of the realm of evangelicalism, but they have a little bit different emphasis doctrinally than us. So I'd never heard his name, but I saw his book and actually there were two and I was trying to figure them out. Um, the one book was a very academic book. Lots of Greek, I'm sorry, lots of Hebrew and lots of uh, academic studies, but I read it and he said he had another book that was written uh, the second book is the one, if you want to buy one, I'd encourage you to get. It's called While Shepherds Watch Their Flocks. Because Tim Laniak, um, he was raised in a, a machine shop. His dad was a machinist. His uncles, uh, grandpa, all in just machine. So what does that tell you about a guy? First off, he works with his hands. Secondly, um, he's surrounded by blue-collar guys. Third... Um, it's real oily because you got to have a lot of uh, lubricant while you're working with the metals and he's cutting and shaping um, and um, metal shavings and he's working with all he worked with all these guys who are blue-collar guys and Tim went to Wheaton and then he went to Gordon Conwell and then he got a PhD at Harvard so here's a guy with a background oily hands machinist and he ends up at Harvard and he never lost his love for the blue-collar kind of guy. So Tim started teaching at Gordon-Conwell, and after seven years, he asked for a sabbatical, and he moved over for, it turned out to be a, over a year, almost a year and a half. He lived with Bedouins, shepherds, in um, uh, Israel and over in Jordan. So he lived with Bedouins, he lived with shepherds, and he said, he, and so I, I got a hold of his material. We brought him over for a lecture, and he lectured to our um, pastors that come in for the regional 360. Uh, I asked him to come, and he lectured on shepherding, lessons learned of a shepherd. So here's a Harvard-trained man knowing how to do research, but he's applying it to blue-collar guys, the shepherds. He said, actually, those are my heroes. I started to understand. Shepherds had to do so much. And, I, and as he's lecturing to us, and then he came over for a D-men co uh, cohort uh, for four hours, he lectured. And he said, shepherds are required to be such a broad uh, uh, abilities and competencies. He said they need to understand agronomy and uh, the whole issue of, of plant life. They need to understand weather, weather patterns. They need to understand animals. They need to be vets. They need to be kind of roughnecks. He said, I like those guys. They don't carry staffs anymore. They carry pistols. And he says they'd sit around at night around the campfire. He said, they're most, for Americans, they're most like cowboys. So he said, imagine cowboys from 100, 120 years ago, 150 years ago, sitting around a campfire at night. And he said, these shepherds would talk about <coughs> shooting people and killing them. And then they would laugh. And I didn't know if they were telling a joke because the American was there. But he said, that's their kind of humor. They're blue collar guys, tough guys. And he said, that 
little idea that where it said the study of the rich biblical metaphors and words and models that describe the many roles of pastoral leadership. He said, I really understood the metaphor of a shepherd because the shepherd had to know a lot. And he said, so does a pastor. And then secondly, he said, a shepherd has to uh, be a man. He asked him, the head of the tribal chief of the shepherds, he said, what's the most important character quality? or most important quality. So you have to love the sheep. He said, can you imagine roughnecks talking about love? There you go. That's what it means. So let's get going and talk about pastor leadership. We start kind of really broad. What are 10 ministry activities? Now you see a footnote. I compiled these from different sources, but uh, over, there's 10 of them. Pastors need to loving, praying, feeding, leading, guarding, mentoring, equipping, evangelizing, restoring, unifying. Already, you get an idea why I have all these, uh, these dots. You got a lot to, you got to be part of. This is important. So let's start to kind of define it a little further down. Geiger and Kevin Peck, Eric Geiger, Kevin Peck, and I had Peck for a class over in, uh, at Southern Seminary, and so I had to read his book. I go, oh, look, while well, I'm studying competencies, oh, he talks about seven. Discipleship, vision, strategy, collaboration, people development, stewardship, ministry-specific competencies for unique skills in a ministry area. Well, that's great. And then a flip to page two. I had another class with Greg Allison at Southern Seminary, and I had to read his book, and he had four. Oh, this is getting simpler. Um, so he has four on the top of page two, teaching, leading, praying, shepherding. So I said, all right, this is helpful. But I spent a year and a half in study on uh, words in the New Testament that have to do with pastoral competencies. And I understand I had a big section in my dissertation on the limitations of word studies. If you're familiar with D.A. Carson's book, Exegetical Fallacies, he doesn't like word studies at all. And I said, well, wait a minute. I'm a pastor. I love Greek and Hebrew word studies. I think they're very helpful. I don't want to take words out of context or, or say this word means this, therefore it means that. Um, I can remember uh, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament, Psalm 133, Verse 1 is Hinei matov umanayim shevedakim gam yachad. That's Hebrew. And so for us in English, it's behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Good, the Hebrew word tov, hinei matov, umanayim. There's the word pleasant. And those words you study in, in Hebrew, you can get so much rich meaning. Man, uh, manayim is the idea of uh, pleasant. It's delightful, like friends in the Old Testament used somewhere else. Also like the uh, bre- uh, bread is used that way. Uh, and uh, the, the, the pleasures of companionship uh, with a wife. These are all pleasures. And that's the same word used in Psalm 133 once. So I said, it's legitimate. Word studies are blessings. So don't think I, I'm, I'm unaware if you're really good at word studies. You say, ah, uh, word studies, that's probably, you didn't do that. I, by the way, I had to defend this dissertation, and I had to defend this part of my dissertation. And I said, hey, I'm standing by this. Here you go. So a lot of my uh, first part of my, uh, of my 
dissertation had to do with these words. So let's look at one key adjective related to pastoral competencies. It's the Greek word hikanos, most important word in my study, hikanos. Uh, it was used in 2 Timothy 2.2, the word hikanos defines a necessary competency in those faithful men that Timothy should identify and train. Speak uh, asserts that hikanos means capable of. So 2 Timothy 2.2, the things you've heard from me, I trust a faithful man who will be able to teach others also. Will be able. There it is, hikanos. Capable. Um, competent. So there's competency needed in pastoral ministry. It's not wrong to think about competency. So I had to defend that aspect of my dissertation. Is this even wrong for us to talk about competencies? Now, where did those, uh, this whole idea come up with? So I had to spend a lot of time on the theory behind competency. But there it is, capable of, who will be able, that's the word, hikanos, to teach others also. So, se last sentence in that first, uh, or that middle paragraph, that, that paragraph. In classical Greek, when the word is used of persons, it means, quote, sufficient, competent to do a thing. So you can kind of see a lot of my dissertation, I was quoting others. So that's why I don't, you copy and paste mine and use it in your own work. Use it with your teaching elders or whatever. Uh, don't, don't worry about it. I'm not going to uh, be all huff, huffy about you using my research. It's great. Um, so the idea is competence is legitimate. And it's used um, 40, 40 times in the New Testament, this word hikanos. But uh, most of them are, well, almost all of them don't really have relevance to the pastorate. Whereas 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is not only direct relevance, but essential and, and crucial relevance of training others. Um, so the things you've learned, you teach others, and then those men will look for those others who will be capable or hikanos to teach others. So that's that adjective. Now, there are six words with greater significance, and then uh, we're going to look at 13 words that have some significance, but you could actually throw them in with the six, but I think nuances are important. So let's take a look at the six words with greater significance. Page three. Number one, didasco. Um, that's the word for teach. It's the most common word for teach. But in my research, I realized, uh, as you look, look down, uh, there's 95 occurrences um, Roy Zook notes that almost without exception, quote, didasco refers to teaching of groups. Of only three of the almost 100 occurrences of didasco appear to be exceptions. So what we're doing here right now, me teaching a group, that's what didasco is. There are other words used for if I'm just with Ken, I'm just with Jasper, or, you know, I'm just with James, that's me and you. There's a, other words. Didasco is about group. So you have to have some competency in this to be able to handle yourself in front of a group. It's important. That's part of being a pastor. Second, keruso. Uh, that's the word uh, that means you're a herald. Um, you're speaking, uh, you know, old, old-timey movies you may have seen where guy walks out dressed up like an important person from the court and he jumps off his horse and he's in the, the middle, the center square, the village, 
and he scro opens a scroll and he'll say, Hear ye, hear ye, upon the word of the king himself, the following decree is officially pronounced. That's what a herald does. He's not saying, hey, you guys, I'm really important, me. You're not. You're delivering the message of the king. That's what that word means. So, Kiruso is a message of the king. That's a herald. <clears throat> Number three, proistemi, interestingly used in the character qualities. You're going to see several of them in 1 Timothy 3. Uh, verse 4, he must manage, there's a verbal form of proistemi, must manage, proistemi, his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage, there it is again, proistemi, his own household, how will he be able to care for, the, for God's church? It's talking about managing, uh, managerial functions. Then um, you can see I talk about administrative uh, function or the, con the concern that a manager needs to have for good at governance or direction, uh, all summarized well by leading. So first at home, then in church. That's, these are competencies uh, for a pastor. Uh, turn to page number four. Here's the fourth one, epimeleomai. Um, also in First Timothy uh, 3, if someone does not know how to manage his own household well, we already saw that word manage, how will he care for epimeleomai? This is really an important nuance because this word is, you see, speak uh, notes. Uh, I, does anyone know that guy? He, he was a graduate of Bob Jones, and I, I don't know how to say his name. So I say speak. I don't want to say spick. I think it's speak. So we'll just say it, all right? So speak, notes about epimeleomai. This term was used especially for the care and devotion shown by parents or nurses to children. So, yeah, you do need to be a good administrator. That's proistemi. But the same context is a little different nuance, and that is, yeah, but do it with the love of like a nurse or a caring parent. Love. So be competent in administration, but show love as you do. And you all have worked with good bosses. Say, man, that guy's really good. He's efficient and competent, but he cared about everyone under his charge. He loved his people. Remember, what did Laniac say when he asked the most important thing for a shepherd? And the head of the tribal of the shepherds over there told Laniac, love love. So there you go, epimeleomai. Five, poimaino. Ah, I love that word. Now we're on familiar territory. Poimaino is shepherd. It's a verbal form, um, and it's literally the idea of shepherd, and it's used all throughout the New Testament, and it's shepherd. And that's why I would suggest you get that book by Laniac, While Shepherds Watch Their Flock. One is highly, con you'd expect a Harvard Harvard guy to write that book. And the other, he said, yeah, but the blue-collar guys, that's what shepherding is. I got to write something for them. So that's a great book. I really like it. And he has a lot of resources, so look him up. And now he doesn't, he no longer teaches for Gordon Conwell. He works for Our Daily Bread Ministries up in Grand Rapids just as a Bible teacher. So Laniac's great. Anyway, poimino, such a great word. Um, we uh, here at our seminary, we, pu we publish six times a year 
um, two articles. So we, we publish 12 articles a year, and we put them electronically on a, a website, and the journal is called Poimenos. I oversee, I'm the elder, or not elder, I'm the uh, professor who oversees that, editor. So uh, I, uh, I, 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 I put those out. So, um, you know, I told this to the group yesterday I had, um, if you are uh, an alumnus of the school, um, and or fa adjunct faculty we have right here, uh, Dr. Ken Bixby. Um, if, if you're an alumnus or uh, adjunct faculty or faculty, we'd love to publish your stuff if you have something you'd like to, to put. So poimenos means shepherd. Oh, by the way, um, if you were to see the truck that Stephen Davy drives for 37 years that he's been here, he has a, quote, vanity plate, license plate, and his license plate says poimenos, shepherds, because that's what we are, that's what he is, and we love it. So that's just the simple word for shepherd. There it is. You have to be a shepherd. Um, six, prosukomai. It means to pray. And you can see uh, elders are supposed to pray for the sick, but um, leaders all throughout the New Testament were to be leading in prayer. There is a skill that you can develop in helping your congregation pray better. And I, yesterday, and I'll say it again today, um, I tell especially young pastors, if they're standing in the pulpit getting ready to lead the congregation in prayer, um, I've, I've heard some young pastors, they'll pray like this, they'll say, I've, I've, I've heard them, leading a congregation in church. God, we just love you. We love you so much. We bask in your love, and, and your love amazes us and astounds us, and thank you. Thank you for your love. And then I always tell them, I try not to you know, hurt their feelings, but I say, when you're leading the congregation, you want to elevate them in understanding our majestic God. Give some forethought to your prayers. Um, even write a couple of phrases, not write it out like you're an Anglican reading from the Book of Common Prayer. But I, told, I tell young pastors, Go to a bookstore, Goodwill, use for a buck. Buy a, you know, a, an Anglican book of common prayer. Look at some of those phrases and just use those. Um, our, our Father, how grateful we are for your forgiveness. And then the Anglicans, they use this language that's pretty cool. Take a couple of words out of there and use it. Now, James is an old Air Force chaplain. He knows about that because... Some of those guys had some good things to teach us, don't they? And um, so praying is a skill. And you have to help your church to learn praying. Um, and so prosukamai. So those are six words. Now, 13 more words with lesser significance regarding pastoral competencies. Let me read this. To be clear... The following 13 words represent nuances of vital and essential pastoral competencies. Therefore, they're not less significant in value or worth. However, when compared to the six previous words, the following 13 words can be classified within the activities of those. But I do see some value in the nuance. One, euangelizo. Hey, that's just the good news. You see that. That's the gospel. 
Make certain that you are preaching the gospel. When you preach, uh, creatively make certain that um, you weave the gospel in, not in a way that is does injustice to the text. Uh, you play uh, gymnastics with, uh, with the text and hermeneutic. Uh, don't do that. But, um, you know, weave the gospel in. That's really important. Page five, number two. Dialegomai. Hey, this is about exchange, exchanging in speech interchange of opinions. Paul does that in, uh, in, in Athens, and he does that throughout uh, uh, his new, in Acts 17 and 18. Um, there's a dialogue. You can see the word dialogue there. Dialegomai, a dialogue. You need to be able to talk. Sometimes all pastors can do is almost they're, they're harsh and vindictive, and they just talk and they, they slap people around. No, exchange opinions and, and listen. And then say, oh, there's some dialogue. Oh, I think I understand what you're saying. Are, are you saying this? And they, yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Okay, can I respond to that? Oh yeah, and then you respond. And you, it's not like you say, oh, you're so good, you're so right, but you listen and then you exchange. That's a legitimate pastoral skill. Three, antilego. Now it's a strong word, speak against. Strong word meaning to refute. Um, sometimes you have to do that. Four, elenko. This means to scrutinize. So you're scrutinizing, studying, examining carefully, and then you bring the light. So you scrutinize this, and this is even a sharper rebuke. Um, and this is a sharp rebuke used in Titus. You can see that three times for the purpose that they may be sound in the faith. Um, Titus, by the way, was written, Paul told him, you go to uh, Crete. Um, you know, those guys were uh, pirates. Um, and so he's dealing with pirates on that island. So he's using a sharp word. Paul says, hey, those pirates aren't going to understand anything other than these sharp, this sharp rebuke. I'm sorry to have to say that, but there are times in my ministry where I've had to be very sharpen my rebuke, rebuke. I've had to say, talk like this, I am sorry, that is not the way to talk to people in our church. I don't do that every Sunday. I, I hardly talk like that. But sometimes it, there it is, like Five, nuthateo, that means to warn, to admonish, uh, the branch of Biblical counseling sometimes has been called nuthetic counseling. Um, it's instruct, lecture, admonish, reprimand. Uh, it's also used in child rearing. Um, so there you go, nuthetel. Six, paresiazomai. This word means speak freely, openly, fearlessly. Now this is talking about boldness and courage. You do need boldness and courage to express the message freely. Seven. Ectithemi means to explain, expose, convey information by careful elaboration. Sometimes you need quite a long time to explain something. It's not a sharp rebuke. Those are usually really fast. It's just a long explanation. And maybe the length of a Sunday school class or two where you're explaining something. Ectithemi, number seven, explain, expose. There it is. Uh, oh, we've already talked about that. Eight, patho. That means to influence or persuade, win over. You need to do that. 
as a, as a, a pastor. Number nine, I love this word. Um, number nine on top of page six, kubernesis. It's used about administration in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. It talks about someone who steers a ship, the one who's managing the ship of the church, helping to uh, direct it. Number 10, katartizmos uh, is the idea of setting a bone. You need to, after you rebuke someone, then you help to heal and help them out. See, now, I know I was sharp with you, but I want to help you. I want to... I want to help to equip you. Uh, that's Ephesians 4.12. 11, prosecco uh, means to give ter- a careful attention to, a pay- and it's, you're in close proximity. So you get to know people, they're close to you, and you're paying close attention and being alert and saying, oh, I need to, to help them. Uh, number 12, a group neo. That's to be vigilant in awareness, uh, keeping watch. Um, you're careful uh, always on the alert, watching the flock. Thirteen is strategy. You see, strategy, serve as a soldier, wage battle, engage in conflict. Um, there's war involved. All right. So there are all those Greek words, and there they are, kind of classified in Allison's four pastoral competencies. Now, this is where it gets overwhelming. Page seven. So first off. I studied in official doctor research. I studied 15 other seminaries. Um, I studied their catalogs. I talked to their professors, um, deans, um, got syllabi from their classes. And as I studied uh, other seminaries, uh, repetitive themes, you can see down there, third paragraph on page seven, repetitive themes became the means by which I identified nine core curricular components. All the schools had these nine core curricular components in their pastoral theology departments. I'm sorry, in their seminary. Numbers one, two, three, important in seminary, obviously, but not part of pastoral theology department. Biblical content and theology, one, two, hermeneutics, three, biblical languages. All had them, all important, but not in a pastoral theology department. Others handled it in seminary. Numbers one through six, this is what pastoral theology departments did. They taught preaching, principles of leadership, church governance, four, spiritual vitality, self-leadership, five, counseling, six, outreach, disciple-making. So I said, there are nine components that every seminary that does what we want to do should have. And I said, that's what we need to be doing. And we do. But I said, for me, I want to look at the six that had to do with pastoral theology departments. Then I went to a focus group. That's where I wanted you to just check it out. On bottom of page seven, I selected four pastors, three of them with over 30 years pastoral experience. One of them had 10 years experience, but all f- I picked four pastors. Two of them wives came, and then one lay, lay elder. So I had seven. And for two hours, I discussed with them what makes a good pastor. Can you close that door, James? Uh, What makes a good pastor? And for two hours, we talked about what makes a good pastor. And they gave me 95 responses. I was shocked, but not shocked because they all made sense. 95 things you have to be good at to be a pastor. And 
Uh, 44 were your character qualities, and 51 were skills. This was overwhelming. It, by the way, we met right in this room. Um, so page eight is what they said. These are the character qualities a pastor needs. 44. <laughs> Talk about being overwhelming. 44, that's what you need. Okay? Page nine. These are the things they said you have to be good at. Skills, abilities, competencies, actual skills. Um, and there's page nine and top of page 10. 51. I'll return to the last comment at the end of that. So now page 10. The other part of my, my doctoral work was, I said, okay, faculty, we're talking about taking a guy coming to us with a, math, uh, with a marketing degree from a state university and having him at the end of three-year program. All right, faculty, this is what I've seen. What do you say is important? So I had to take a survey of 19 faculty members, all of them, and said, what do you think? So the faculty survey, the question of the survey was, how important do you think it is for a pastor to possess the, the specified competency? And I'm sorry, in my notes, I don't give you, the, the numbers were from one to six. From one to six. Six being, you don't have this, you really can't be a, a pastor, a good pastor. You've got to have it. One being, eh, don't worry about it at all, from one to six. So look what my faculty members listed as number one. Ability, almost every single one of them said six. This is a six. Ability to discern truth from error. Next, solid understanding of sound hermeneutical method. Then we moved on down. You start seeing what they said is important. And remember, if six is absolutely essential, five was really important, four is important. Look on page 11. There's only one that didn't measure up to four, but it almost made it to number four important. That's ability to receive a graduate theological degree. I was proud of my faculty when they said, you know, you don't have to graduate from here to be a good pastor. I like that. Um, so, but even that was almost number four, a four. So this is really important to see and interesting to me. So this now comes to number 12. STS core competencies and micro competencies necessary. Number 12, I collated them all. And the core competencies, remember I said there are six for a seminary, pastoral theology department, preet on the left, preaching, teaching, one, two, leadership, three, church governance, four, spiritual vitality, self-leadership, five, counseling, six, outreach, disciple-making. The micro-competencies, all those that I was just talking about that made the top grade, there they are. That's how they organize. So then, I don't tell you all this, but then I had to go back and I worked every class that we would teach, re redesign the curriculum. Where will this be covered? Where will this be covered? This guy's here. We want him here. Make sure these things are addressed along the way. So that's what we did there. Now, remember I said balancing pastoral competencies with pastoral ethics. 
Right now, we're out of balance, I think. <laughs> All we think about is 95 things. Ah. Look at page 13 on the top. Always remember, it does not end with pastoral competencies. There's a supernatural element in ministry. Never forget Christian ministry is supernatural. We have a supernatural God who gave to us a supernatural book, the Holy Spirit, the supernatural power of God, and uh, we see all of that, and we have these, this warfare going on around us, and we don't stand a chance unless God intervenes. So remember that, guys. Second, never forget the importance of character. I kind of did. I Three years, I was just focused on that. And at the end, I said, no, don't forget character is essential. Number three, if it's supernatural, then we better develop intimacy with Christ. We better love him so he can use us. And then four, we should cultivate this majestic view of God. If supernatural element is essential, then that's one of our key roles is to help people. When we pray, when we, treat, when we preach, we're constantly uh, lifting up the, the view of God for everyone. God is awesome. We are to submit to him. And then on the bottom of page 13, we should be scripture-driven. That's the means by which people change. You give them the word of God. Work on, on that. You saw so many of that references uh, being referenced in these uh, Greek words we studied. Page 14 at the end. We need, need to understand maturing and growth happen at the same time while serving. You are not what you should be. You are not what you will be if you keep growing in Christ. But thank God he's using you how you are, imperfect as you are, and you're going to grow as you serve. But so are the people you serve in your congregation. And then team builders, you don't have it all. You are not the greatest. You are not the omni-gifted one. <laughs> you need teammates. You have to have teammates to fill in the, the gaps in your lack and to help you grow. And then uh, always keep eternity's values in view. That's, it's not just competency. It's like, what am I doing for eternity and how can I help shape uh, these people that way? Okay, conclusion, balancing. When my research was all over, I walked across that stage and received my doctor of ministry degree. Al Mohler handed it to me, and he looked me in the eye, and he literally said, congratulations, Dr. Lofquist. And I said, thanks, Al. <laughs> and I got off the stage as fast as I could. There's 300 other guys up there, you know, psh, psh, psh. and he's saying the same thing, congratulations, Dr. So-and-so. So um, when I was done, I thought about you, my brother pastors, my work had broadened my understanding of the role of a pastor and the core competencies needed for a pastor to shepherd well, and this increased my love for the men in the brotherhood of pastors. Reflecting on the number of core pastoral competencies and micro-competencies needed for pastor ministry caused me many times to shake my head in sympathy for the men in pastor ministry. Ninety-five things! I honestly didn't think... I said, well, Greg Allison had four, 
Peck and Geiger had seven. I started by saying like 10 things. I was figuring 12 things I would come up with. Yikes. Look at that second to the last paragraph. I remember the profound final comment given at the end of the focus group interview. The group had spent nearly two hours discussing their perceptions of pastoral competency. They provided 95 discrete responses with 44 character qualities mentioned and 51 abilities competencies mentioned. One pastor with 30 years of highly successful pastoral ministry. He's, he's really a great pastor in the same church made this final, and he'd been 30 years in that same church. He said this, quote, it's discouraging because we pastors are so lacking. I remember hearing in seminary, you need to do these three things. Then the next guy would say, you need to do these five things. And the guy after him said, you need to do these four things. There were so many things we were told to do. It was discouraging because pastors have an impossible task. We do. We do. And so I love men who persist in pastor ministry, and I love all the men like that guy. And all my research and writing strengthened my appreciation for my brother pastors. It realized, it caused me to realize how weak I am and how desperately I need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life in ministry. It's impossible. We're asked to do a supernatural work, and we're just so far from perfect. So with that, let's close in prayer. Father, help these men, men as they seek to balance competency in ministry with ethics and ultimately uh, with your power. So Lord, we confess freely, we do not have everything and we are not everything we should be. But help us, Lord, I pray. And use us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, thanks. See you guys. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2023 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.